Welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at NomcastPod.com. All right, big day in the world of film as just this morning, the nominations for the 93rd Academy Awards were released. Uh, We are recording this podcast on the evening after their announcement, and on today's show, We will discuss what these nominations mean for the Netflix films that were celebrated today, the best chances for Netflix to win Oscars this year, and also touch on some snubs, of course. We will do all of this with our guests David Long and Craig Fields of the film review podcast, Is It Worth It? from Across the Pond in the UK. How are you, gentlemen? Very well, thank you. I'm really well, Andrew. Thanks so much for having us on. What a, a busy, hectic day, but what a fabulous day for all us film geeks. Absolutely. It's 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 the whatever, the AFC championship game to the uh, <laughs> to the Super Bowl. You know, it's uh, we get to just speculate for weeks to know what we want to hear out of the big game. Right. Um, mm. But thank you both for coming out. I know it's late uh, where you are, so I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Later on in this show, in honor of the guests uh, we have appearing today, we will also play a rousing game of Is It Worth It? with with three 2021 Netflix titles we have not reviewed yet on this podcast, so stick around for that. But let's start right here with the Oscar nominations, specifically, of course, uh, about the Netflix films honored here or not honored here, as the case may be. Uh, On our Netflix State of the Union episode we did last week, I talked to uh, film critic and Oscar pundit, also Mike, of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, about what we could expect when the nominations came out. And between his estimations and noted Oscar pundit Scott Feinberg's latest forecast, they were guessing that Netflix would have around 43 to 45 nominations. I, too, Mm. thought it would end up around 40 or a little bit more. And when the nominations were tallied, Netflix ended up with 35 nominations, with one of them in particular being kind of not only surprising, but also kind of sort of not a Netflix film in a way. It's, it's, a, it's a stretch, but we'll get there. Um, but we'll <laughs> go with 35 for now. And I'm going to start here with David. They led the field with 24 nominations last year. They have 35 this year, and yet somehow... I find it completely unsatisfying and borderline deflating. Am I off <laughs> am I off base here or does that seem about right? I think listening to your State of the Union episode, you've got to remember what also Mike said. It is an honor just to be nominated. Yeah, and you know that's more and... shit too. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for echoing that. But um no, look, I think 35 compared to 24, it's it's going up. I've got the numbers in front of me. Obviously, Netflix first ever Oscar nomination was in 2014. Um 
And since then, the numbers have just gone up and up. Eight in 2018, 15 in 2019, and as you said, 24 last year. So there's a there's a, this Netflix juggernaut is really picking up pace now. So I think I know Scott Feinberg and also Mike were predicting in that you know low 40s number, but I think 35 is pretty solid, and I think you should be happy there, Andrew. I think that's 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 a good number. Yeah, completely. I, I attribute everything to me. Uh, it's funny because when, <laughs> when I when I talked to also Mike today as well. Like he was like, oh yeah, you, you know, you sh- you did a great job, or like he'll say whatever. I'm like, yeah, I love the uh, association, but uh, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll take whatever you know compliments come my way. But uh, you know, <laughs> I'm doing the Lord's work, as they say. But uh, you know, <laughs> apparently not enough, and especially for certain movies in particular, like uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was, I think. Mm. One of the casualties of that in particular, um, just to go over the basics, uh, Mank led all films, right? With 10, uh, yep. Chicago 7 had six, Ma Rainey had five, Hillbilly Elegy had two, uh, and there was, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there was a smattering of other one-off nominations past that. To me, and I said this to, to also Mike last time was, you know, I, I, I expected a lot of nominations for sure. And 35 is a big number. But it is also kind of startling, especially now that we see the full picture now. Now that we have all the nominations, to see chances of winning in certain categories mm. just make me borderline uncomfortable. So when when you look at this, did you see a, a narrative come through for any particular movies? Netflix are not like that anything is going up or down and maybe one is cannibalizing the other in a sense. Yeah. I mean, I know what you're saying about the, the cannibalization sort of one Netflix film eating into another Netflix uh, film's chances. And I think you do see that, you know, across a number of categories. Um, but we'll probably dive into that a little bit later. But, you know, overall, I think that 35 is a, is a good number. I know you're a little disappointed, but. Well, and, and to be honest, I just see certain narratives you know, coming about, I think the the Mank nomination thing sound is a false narrative to me mm. because I think I don't know if they will win more than like one or two of those. Yeah. Um, Chicago Seven also having six shows that I think it kind of isn't maybe the Marvel or the closeness that it maybe had with Nomadland at one time. I think uh, Minari. For for yeah. is surging right now. I think mm. you're seeing Judas and the Black Messiah get tipped up right now, and I think Chicago Seven is starting to fall further back based on what I'm seeing in here. And and to me, that's based on no Sorkin in director. We did yeah, we did that all, was a big omission. Yeah, we did a whole episode uh with your Road to the Oscars thing, and I was like, yep, Sorkin's got that lock, no problem. <laughs> gets dga does the whole thing and we're like yep can't can't miss here gone Mm. um i would say not having a second supporting actor nom and and judas and the black messiah getting the second one is also kind of a slap down for uh chicago seven as well um and then you know the ma rainey thing not being here an adapted screenplay or best picture to me you know pours you know a little bit of uh poison on uh viola davis's chances of winning best actress i think so Mm. um david did you want to speak on any of the do you do you think i'm reading those things correctly 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of the momentum, um, if if you look at the betting lines, Nomadland has has been really, really strong. And even today, after the nominations, um, Nomadland's price has come down, and Chicago Seven has has drifted a bit. In terms of Mank, it's 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 bizarre. It leads the way with ten. And if you were not a an Oscars expert or an Oscars pundit, you'd look at Mank and you'd think, hell, do you know what? This is going into the Oscars with a really great chance. But I've only got Mank winning production design at the moment. For me, that's yeah. that's that's literally. Literally what I have it winning. Um, Gary Oldman had a lot of momentum early in the campaign. He was he was really being talked about, but obviously um, Chadwick Boseman looks like he's got that category sewn up. Um, and then in terms of Chicago 7, um, that has sort of... I mean, it did come out quite a while ago, and I know they re-released it on YouTube for 48 hours to try and get more people interested in that film. But that's definitely, like you said, there was definitely... Some some misses there. Aaron Sorkin missing in director was huge, and Mank also missed original screenplay, which was quite a big one as well. Yeah, how that nar- narrative didn't hold uh, is beyond <laughs> me. I guess it's really just people were not, you know, the thing about the Oscars, right? And the thing that helped Parasite is just you know last year was that there was so much momentum, like everybody loved it. There was so much word of mouth mm. in a year where you can't really get word of mouth. A lot of the Netflix movies, especially because they were all really released before, you know, 2021, um, mm. they, they didn't have this narrative that lasted more than like dominating the week. You know, even like something like, you know, everybody says that more about, say, Defy Bloods, who ended up getting one nomination today for for best score. Um, yep. They had their moment you know, in the late spring, early summer when it was needed and it was a moment and it was this big deal, but it really kind of dissipated quickly off that. And same thing with uh, Chicago seven, it had its moment, but then as soon as we all started hearing like, you know, Judas and the black Messiah, which they kind of are intertwined a little bit here. Yeah. Um, especially a lot of people who I know who, really love Judas and the Black Messiah suddenly hate Chicago 7 all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> you know, not calling out anyone in particular, of course. Um, but it, it's it's a weird thing to see that it's, you know, but there isn't a lot of venom in general here. It's a very, like, you know, there's no fight. There's no Parasite versus 1917 or Parasite versus Once Upon a Time like it was last year. You know, you're seeing a lot of Oh, that'd be nice if this won, but I wouldn't be too mm. sad if they didn't. Or like, you know, like outside of like maybe some cult stuff with like promising young woman I see online, it doesn't seem mm. to have anything like that this year. Did you did anyone see any like vitriol online for like these nominations? I didn't. I mean, there's 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 quite a big sound of metal gang, isn't there? There's quite a, a lot of people that are sort of blowing the trumpet for that. Yeah, I, I mean, that's true. That's, that's exactly what I was sort of thinking. Like, promising young woman and and sound of metal, are the two things that are really standing in my mind. And they're the two films that I haven't actually seen yet, but they're the two that I really, really desperately want to see that I think might have those Oscar chances. A lot of the times, David and I will see something um, in in a trailer, and I think for David, that's Judas and the Black Messiah. He's seen something in the trailer mm. that that really made him think this could be a Best Picture winner, and and it's it's one of those <laughs> things where you early on will maybe place a bet because of it because you think this would really mm. do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, listen, if I had the vote, that's what I'd be choosing. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I'm delighted to yeah, hear. Yeah, and I, mean, I think this year, David, you've actually really thought about that and 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 mm. i think you probably you might have got this right um 
there's been years where you've got it very wrong, but oh, dear, dear, dear. <laughs> but that is that. Those are the ones. But I really want to see promising young women. That's that's the one that I think could be standing standing in the way there, possibly. Mm. Are you getting that anytime soon in the UK? Or I, like, because that's what's interesting to me is like some people, you know, get these things early over there. Then you guys, a lot of times, end up getting them way after even the Oscars have mm. happened. Yep. And I'm like, well, that's obnoxious yeah. <laughs> and, and of course hard for you guys to do your job if that's the case too and and you know we're going through it for the first time here a little bit where sometimes movies opened up in theaters like say the tenant situation or uh wonder woman 1984 i believe both maybe opened up overseas before it did here and we had to sit here and go wait what yeah. we we don't get to see these things first we're so elitist here in the u.s that we need to have these things before anyone else of course um but it, yeah it's a different ball game now with you know everything either going to streaming services or you know going to vod and being available so i think that's weird uh in a weird year like this where you can't have conversations for too long and i think some of the late-breaking films like Nomadland and Judas and the Black Messiah who pushed their their release dates. And The Father. The Father, I, I haven't... It's not available uh, unless you're going into theaters right now here uh, or it just happened over the weekend here. You know, that's a very different story as well. So, yeah, you know, for some people, you know, it was like, oh, they saw it at Sundance over a year ago. I'm like, great. That's like, you know, five people I know or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not... It's, it's not crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. And we've been working really hard to to get a lot of the films in screener form. And right. I think that's working very well for us in some regards. But it's it's um with the with the lockdowns that are happening and cinemas closing over here and they're still closing, they're not going to be open for quite some time. We're not getting so much of the content. So for us as a review mm. show, it's it's made things very difficult, but especially when you've got a lot of the Oscar films that are still left to be able to see. And and with not Netflix dominating in the way that it has and even though it's not something that you've expected it to be in in the number of uh, nominations we've right. managed to see a vast majority of these films because of the way that they've been released and for that it's it's a it's a great way for us to to do what we do there right. are just those select fews that we're not able to get hold of and, and those could be some really big some really big ones saying that nomadland we've managed to get here in the uk for us as a screener much 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 earlier than um the rest of the uk so we were really pleased to get hold of that and watch that and 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 get be able to get our review out of that quite early um for sure. but yeah no definitely it's uh the, the ball game has changed in the last three years since we've been doing this so yeah huge changes yeah and obviously this year being the the worst of it all because <laughs> yeah. you know the landscape is just <laughs> it's it's all over the place it's insane mm. um part of the reason why i had a higher number and a lot of people did is because of certain things that like people just couldn't let go early on. Like I, I will say there are three in particular that, you know, either myself or other Oscar pundits I know really wanted ha have happened here were Delroy Lindo for best actor mm. that never materialized, but it doesn't seem to be like, I don't know what people would say uh would be the replacement here like are you going to take steven yun out are you going to do something else like that um i don't know see so yeah, dick johnson is dead i know for documentary feature a lot of people thought that one was above crip camp mm -hmm. myself included for the longest time 
Um, you know, and and this late break for Octopus Teacher, I did not see coming at yeah. all. Uh, we we did a whole documentary feature breakdown back uh, when Dick Johnson came out, and at no point did I say, "Oh yeah, but wait, wait for my Octopus Teacher." Um, <laughs> if anything, people would have said, "You know, athlete A," or you know, uh, even, you know, becoming or disclosure or any of these other high profile mm. or the social dilemma even, I think, got BAFTA nominated or or BAFTA long list or something to where there was at least some mention of it. Octopus Teacher yeah. got this late life when that movie was out for months. Nobody was mm. talking about this movie besides uh, Mike, Mike and Oscar uh, when, <laughs> when, when we had it on. And then another one that only him and I were talking about is Speed Cubers uh, mm. for uh, documentary short. That movie is so good. It is so heartwarming. And I think, you know, some of the people pleaser ones do get ticked down. But my goodness, those three are the ones that I really wanted. Is there anything you guys saw that, you know, maybe is the reason for some of these snubs here? I mean, I, I recently watched Dick Johnson is Dead and I thought it was a, a tremendous documentary, like really powerful, sort of funny, enlightening. Um, I found it really quite inspiring as well to sort of cherish more time with my loved ones, with my parents. Yeah. I I was really surprised when I didn't see that and I don't know if the Academy found some of the darker humour maybe a bit off-putting. Yeah. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but for me, like I don't know as much as I mean. Also, Mike's watched like ninety documentaries. The guys, <laughs> the guys on fire. I I haven't done as many as that. Nowhere near. But from the documentaries I have seen, like that that was really high up on my list. Um, my octopus teacher is another one that's on my list. I haven't got round to seeing that yet. Um, I've seen Crip Camp. I thought that was brilliant as well. Yeah. Um, but for me, I had Dick Johnson is dead above Crip Camp in my in my list. So I was somewhat surprised to see Dick Johnson is dead sort of snubbed. And as for Delroy Lindo. It's. It, I don't want to say it's scandalous, but it's it's a serious snub, and I think people have sort of grown accustomed to these snubs throughout the award season. He's being snubbed and snubbed and snubbed. Right. So it doesn't. It didn't come as a huge shock that he didn't get that Oscar nomination. But if you watch the Five Bloods, he is so good in that film. That one particular monologue that he gives to the camera, yeah. where he's hacking his way through the bush, is just. It's an Oscar in three minutes, and he deserved more. Is all I'll say on that. I yeah, totally for agree sure. with you on that one, hundred percent. Yeah, like I said, and they own the moment. They were like the first big mm. movie to come out this year, a more Oscar-y type movie back in the spring, and it's like you would think that that would carry some weight because it was some time between the five bloods and say the rest of, you know, more of an Oscarish type slate mm. uh, that wasn't already say at Sundance or whatnot. Um, but anything that where the public was viewing, you know, came much later, you know, maybe until Chicago seven came out or, or even I remember in September, you know, more simpler times uh, in, in when we were talking about, you know, I'm thinking of ending things might have Oscar chances mm. or or something of the like. Um, that obviously did not materialize. I would have liked to see <laughs> that too because I actually like that above some of these other Netflix films for the yeah, year. Agreed, agreed. Um, I want to talk about uh, a couple other surprises and whether you guys think they're surprises or whether they're worthy. Uh, the White Tiger ended up coming yeah. in for adapted screenplay. Um, and, you know, that's... 
That movie is good. Uh, I didn't think that was going to make it above Ma Rainey. I think that's mm. insane uh, in a way to think about that, considering that Ma Rainey got a lot more other nominations. You would have thought, why, why not this one as well? And it would have definitely bolstered its chance for best picture. But I don't know if um, there seems to be a narrative also that with the two notable snubs and best picture of um, Once Upon a Time in Miami and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, that the two things they have in common are A, they came from streaming services, and B, that they are stage play adaptations. And, you know, the, the father being a stage play adaptation changes that calculus a little bit. But to me, it's maybe they they kind of had enough or thought those were more stage like than, say, the father, you know, that fa the father did more to change that conversation from, you know, that it made it more cinematic. Do you guys have any outlook on that? I mean, I think the important thing to, to remember about Moraney's Black Bottom and One Night in Miami is they're both sort of like chamber pieces, aren't they? They're both set in these very limited locations. And I just wonder if that affected its best picture chance. You know, when, when something like Moraney, um, I mean, they did have a little bit of, of some cinematography outside of, of, of the places where they were practicing and performing. Yeah. But it was a very claustrophobic piece. The same with One Night in Miami. And I just wonder if those kind of claustrophobic pieces just don't appeal as much to the Academy. The fact that they're adapted from plays, as you said, maybe as well was playing on their mind. Um, I was I was surprised to see Moraney's Black Bottom omitted and One Night in Miami. Um, I, th I thought they were both very, very credible films. Um, both had, well, One Night in Miami had more issues, in my opinion, than Moraney. But yeah, I think that's th maybe the fact that it's in those tight, claustrophobic settings. Um, I wouldn't read too much into the fact they're both from streaming services. I think if you look at the number of nominations Netflix got, which was um, 35, <laughs> and uh, I think um, Amazon came away with 12. So I, you know, I don't think you can read too much into the idea of the the streaming service personally. Sure, no, I, I, the the two adapted screenplays and, and it being plays and, and David I think you're you're right in the sense that it's you know the claustrophobic nature of them but I think they adapted that very well and it, it they did kind of look like plays but I think they t they they managed to sort of get away from it enough for it to be at mm. least at least nominated um for for those and and you know going back to the white tiger we both talked about the screenplay here in our in our review mm. of it and we really thought it was fantastic like we we thought that the the whole story was amazing the way it unfolded um the like we did really actually enjoy the film a lot more than than we expected to 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 enjoy it and um, I'm actually really happy to see it nominated, especially in this category. Um, you know, perhaps, you know, there could have been maybe somewhere else it could have been nominated as well, but maybe that was just enough for it. But yeah, you know, yeah, really happy to see it in there, to be honest. Yeah, the one thing that shocked me about the Ma Rainey uh, not being here was basically that Ma Rainey changed the end of the the original stage play to be more of this cinematic ending with mm. the the uh the change to the band playing uh mm. levy's song at the end um that's not part of the original stage play uh, and that they made it this more over the top over uh, banging over your head a little bit more on the nose <laughs> end uh but i also think it serves 
very well to the movie overall instead of just ending on you know spoiler like levy's and we'll we'll call it that instead of me spoiling Ma Rainey for a not <laughs> for, uh, for for people who are just I'm I'm just here for the nominations. What are you talking about? I didn't come here to get all the movies <laughs> spoiled for me. Um, but uh, to me, I, I thought it was a triumph in terms of the adaptation in that regard, as well as what you said. I mean, I you know we could talk about the direction in another piece, but I don't I don't think it was going to get there. But I definitely think it should have been up for best picture especially when i believe next year they're changing to 10 flat nominees anyway yeah so why not toss in one night miami and ma rainey mm. to to you know just start, let's get it started now why wait we, this is such an open year that you know mm. why why pare it down to eight you know at this juncture i don't know um but uh, just uh, to add the the other surprise noms, we already mentioned my octopus teacher and um, Sean the sheep Farmageddon in animated. Yeah. Um, I don't get this much at all in the sense of I haven't seen it. I will say that because yes, it's a Netflix film technically, like in terms of its you know distribution after a certain point, but. This came out in the UK in theaters. This was, you know, and it wasn't until after they they tried to to you know do the distribution change with COVID or whatever. Like, I guess you can say that I, it's not even like the Ch- Chicago Seven thing here. It's not like you know, oh well, you know, Paramount was going to put this out and they sold it to them and and they did everything. No, they they only got the distribution on the streaming level. So mm. that's why I was like, uh, is it a Netflix nomination? And oh, by the way, didn't this movie come out in 2019? Yeah, so- yeah I was going to say, I'm so sure it came out absolutely ages ago. And it is a surprise to see it here. But I think Aardman are, are amazing at making these sort of films. And it's nice to see it here. It really is. But um, is it worthy? I'm not so sure. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's strange, isn't it? It's also taking the place of a movie that I personally like quite a bit in The Willoughbys uh, that you would have thought I actually like it more than Over the Moon. I don't get the Over the Moon thing at all besides that the animation is really good. Um, But, you know, to me, I I easily could have seen them switch places. Um, But, yeah, no crudes here either, I believe, right? And so it kind of just comes out of nowhere when it was, I believe, up for the BAFTAs in 2020. Um, so, uh, I don't get it. Um, so those are all very shocking to me. Some people will consider Glenn, the Glenn Close thing. Why is it still ongoing? Um, as a, as a shock, I don't see it as a shock. And in fact, now I'm scared that it actually really does have the chance to win. Um, (laughs) a, a fun fact for everybody, uh, playing at home. It's amazing. And I think it's only happened once or twice before that, an actor or actress has been nominated for an Oscar for their performance and a Razzie for the worst <laughs> performance of the year in the same year with the same performance. Mm, and it's incredible. This, I know. It's it's the funniest stat I've, I've seen thus far with that. Um, but yeah, for anybody who wants the Razzie uh, conversation, we'll, we'll do that at a different time. Um <laughs> But, you know, uh, justice for Hubie Halloween, if you want to start that uh, hashtag, <laughs> up, we'll, we'll get there. Um, but to me, 
so now looking at the big picture here, um, I think the best chances of winning for, and, and I guess I'll, I'll point this more at David, the best chances of winning I see right now for Netflix, especially only having two wins with 24 nominations, that's all I care about now. So that's that's all that's going to happen here. Mm. Um, Chadwick seems still like a lock to me, even though the, the nominations change slightly you know, for, for what may have happened. Some people say it was absolute chalk, but it, it's close. Costume design, I think they have a, a and production design and makeup and mm-hmm. hairstyling. Hair mm-hmm. You can either pick Mank or Ma Rainey in either of those. So I, and, and obviously even <laughs> Hillbilly Elegy could win for makeup and hairstyling and drive us all <laughs> yep, crazy yep. there too. Um, animated short. Uh, they seem to be kind of a front runner a little bit with that as well. Um, original song, they have three nominees of the five, so I think that's pretty strong <laughs> chances, uh, especially with the Life Ahead song, the Diane Warren song winning the Globe. Uh, you know, so we have some history there, and now adding in Eurovision to mess everybody up. Um, we're we're going to see where where that takes you, um, and then. I think Chicago 7 for film editing, but I'm less strong about that. But to me, those are the ones that I think are the strongest chances for them to win. David, do you see that the same? Yeah, I've got very, very similar. I did have a little stat here for you, Andrew. So um, Netflix has won eight awards from 54 nominations. Um, That's a 14.81% conversion rate. So of all the Netflix nominees, 14.81% go on to win the Oscar. What does that mean? Well, if we follow that formula, the Netflix should win (laughs) (laughs) 5.1835 Oscars. This year, so so let's call that five. Sure. Um, so the maths and the history would suggest that of all the nominations, Netflix is going to win five. And I've got it down for five. I've got Chadwick Boseman, um, best actor in a leading role. I've got Mulraney's Black Bottom costume design. Um, that's Anne Roth. She's a four-time Oscar nominee uh, and a one-time winner, now a five-time nominee. Right. Believe it or not, I think Hillbilly Elegy will take makeup and hairstyling. <laughs> God help us all. <laughs> um, I, I, I genuinely do believe that will win there. I've got the... Um, I've got Mank down for production design. I think that's... I don't want to say slam dunk, but Manx got 10 noms. It's got to win somewhere. Right. So I think that's that's a real strong, I'm not going to say lock, but I think that's got a real good chance. I'll be interesting to see what the betting is on that. I expect it to be favourite. And finally, the trial of the Chicago 7 for original screenplay. So that's five. Mm. But, you know, you've got Glenn, Glenn Close in supporting actress. Don't rule her out. Um, Viola Davis in best actress. She was the favourite, the real market leader. And she's gone back and back and back. Don't forget Amanda Seyfried in Best Supporting Actress. Obviously, you've got The Trial of Chicago 7, Best Picture. And then outside chances, Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution, or My Octopus Teacher. I've got that down. What you know, It's been nominated. Maybe it springs a massive surprise and wins that category. So I <laughs> yeah. think we're looking at somewhere, I'm going to say on the record, between five, six, that kind of ballpark figure. Yeah, I mean, I do. I put slim chances at winning on some some other categories, and that was Chicago Seven for Best Picture, Original Screenplay mm. as well, uh, Best Supporting Actress for either Seifert or Close, Mank, yep. Mank for Cinematography has a slim chance, um, Baron Cohen in Supporting if Stanfield now splits the Judas pot at all, that might be a thing, or if anyone who wanted to reward 
so say Borat two more than it got, mm. and they want to try to put the love for Baron Cohen there. You know, there is that kind of puzzle that could happen yeah. here, um, and that kind of adds to one of my other narratives that um, I wanted to say on this one for because Chicago Seven winning Best Picture, I think, changes the the tone of the evening from Nomadland being this juggernaut taking over this mm. huge thing to you know. Netflix's come out party you know they're they're you know <laughs> like it, it sounds stupid for for the fact that they led nominations two straight years that you know they're still underdogs in some fashion but until they win their best picture I think a lot of people are not are going to keep going well the status quo still wins so mm. so with that said I did kind of write down some kind of puzzle theory stuff with Chicago 7 because I think they're not winning Best Picture. But mm. if if Chicago 7 wins original screenplay and film editing... Massive chance. I know. And Nomadland only wins two of its five other nominations. And Minari only wins Best Supporting Actress because for, for them, they would also lose original screenplay and film editing to Chicago 7 in that calculus then I think it follows closer to the Green Book formula of winning mm. Best Picture, where they only won screenplay and Best Supporting Actor, and they didn't have a nomination for director. Same with Sorkin being out. Uh, they won two of the other four, so they won three overall before Best Picture. So especially even maybe if Baron Cohen wins two, mm. that would be a huge boost. But that's a lot of ifs, which is why I don't yep. think this works out. But if you start to see some of those dominoes fall, you know, maybe uh, Nomadland could start to get a little, little itchy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the undercard is is going to be so, so important um, seeing how that unfolds. Nomadland is definitely the one to be. It's the front runner. It's winning everywhere. Um, what I'm really excited for is the PGA. Um, that Producers Guild of America award. I think if that goes to Nomadland, game, set, match, put a fork in it, it's done. Totally. Um, but... If something was to spring a surprise, if Chicago 7 was to win the, the PGA, that puts it probably, you know, the conversion from a PGA win to a to an Oscar win, the, the numbers are staggering, very, very high. That would be really, really interesting. But if something, a late breaker like Judas and the Black Messiah was to win the PGA, I'd obviously be dancing a jig. <laughs> um, but it, it, it would change the game. The, the PGA is going to be really, really interesting. And that, what you outlined there, Andrew, is fascinating. The Oscar puzzle theory of where these awards are going to go, how it's going to play out. Um, but it, it may just be that Nomadland is the dominant force and there's not much we can do about it. I think the PGA is, is utterly critical. Yeah, I think there's about as good a chance at Nomadland winning four Oscars for Chloe Zhao than it is at, mm. to like say what I just said happening at the mm. same rate. So, you know, I, I don't see either of those happening but uh, you know who knows maybe it'll be a special night either for chloe Zhao or for netflix as a whole um mm. you know and yes i want to have that fight uh you know we'll, we'll take chloe Zhao down <laughs> starting now um no I, I like that film uh you know but it's interesting a film like that being one to make history means that mm. this is a very different year i don't understand very, i yeah. still don't understand how two pictures like Judas and the Black Messiah and Chicago Seven being these kind of classic studio pictures that look and and smell the part 
of winning Best Picture and yet seemingly going the other way or not having as much of a chance as Nomadland. It's wild to me. Yeah, I, th- I think you guys touched upon it, didn't you, in the um, State of the Union, the elevator pitch idea. Yeah. Um, if you were to pitch Nomadland to me in an elevator, I would probably say that doesn't, I'm not going to lie, that doesn't sound great. No. But, you know, you throw in the, the class of Chloe Zhao, who I loved her work in The Rider, and then you added a, a powerhouse like Francis McDormand. When I first watched Nomadland, I, as much as I thought it was a very commendable piece of filmmaking, I was never completely sold, and I'm, I'm standing by it, I'm being very, very stubborn. I still think it's not going to win Best Picture. Yeah, I hear that a lot, and yet every precursor tells us <laughs> we're idiots. Win? <laughs> I know. It's, uh, really, it's really, it's really strange, David, that you say that as well, because I think we touched upon that in our review, and 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 I felt very much the the same, and I thought my feeling was that Ryder was much better, but it just didn't mm. have, you know, Francis McDormand, someone in that in that lead to be able to take yeah. it further, and and yeah, I I I have that feeling as well that it's. It's not going to win Best Picture, even though it's winning all of these awards. I don't think it can do it. I, I really, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it can. But it's funny, like it kind of speaks to the open competition thing, right? Like if if this was something in a previous year where all the theaters are open, hmm. all the other nominees that got pushed back are back in the field. I don't think we're talking about it in the same breath. I think we're saying. You know, there may be some Oscar pundits going, look at one indie spirits. Does it have a chance at winning the Oscar? And then we'd all laugh and then we'd move on. <laughs> but now, uh, you know, we're putting all these things kind of on equal footing. A lot of people yeah. are seeing them, you know, all in the same way. We're not worried about box office statistics or some of these other type of precursor things that we look at. It's not happening. So and and, mm-hmm. and we didn't get, you know, th- you know, the French dispatch. We didn't get, you know, uh, last night in Soho. We didn't get, you know, West Side Story. We didn't get in the Heights. Mm. We didn't get a lot of these things that would have probably, you know, blown some of these films out of the water. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. This is what we have. I think it's a it's a good collection. I don't agree with say Mike one from Mike Mike and Oscar saying we should have had a bake sale or a fundraiser instead <laughs> of having an Oscar season. I think that's very insulting to this great collection of films that we have. But I will agree that I think it is a lesser year uh, than than we had, especially coming off you know the 2019 films were so good. Like it, I thought that was one of the best film years in a long time. So to go from that to this, I I am still kind of deflated as some of us all are as well and looking forward to what comes up in 2021 Mm, um so i appreciate you guys going down that road with me i I, i'm still holding out hope that at least it's like more like you know if you said five wins i think it's Mm. a little better than that um and especially if we're even thinking chicago seven has a chance at at best picture well, then it has to be by all stretches to be closer to like that seven or eight mm. number. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, and and unfortunately, Mank has now, you know, got kind of the Irishman written all over it where it's like yeah, it's not yeah. going to win a darn thing or maybe one lower <laughs> card things. And, you know, for everyone who said this is Netflix's year in an open year like this because they have all the movies, you're wrong again. I said that months ago. I said that. Nope. <laughs> Uh, they're all going to kind of split up here and that they don't give Netflix a ton of award wins. They love mm. nominations all day. They, and yeah. they kill TV. I think they just, the, the, the film 
you know, the the people who vote for the Academy just don't have it there yet. They don't they don't want to reward Netflix in the same way. And we'll see what happens with other streamers now that we're getting into the fold where Apple had two nominations, I believe, this year. Amazon, you said, had, had quite a bit as well, uh, especially between Sound of Metal and One Night Miami being big. Um, yeah, so it's a different world, guys. But um, I appreciate you going through that with me. Um, but everybody, please stick around because these guys do an amazing podcast called Is It Worth It? And right after this break, we are going to play a little... Is it worth it with three <laughs> Netflix titles that we haven't covered yet here on this podcast? So stick around. Forgotten Cinema is getting romantic for our eighth season and just in time for Valentine's Day as we cover the 90s ensemble drama, Beautiful Girls. We'll then do a complete 180 as we dive into some spy films, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy and Spy Game. We'll find out why white men can't jump and whether you should shoot to kill while enjoying a Frankenweenie. Nope, that doesn't make any sense. You know what else doesn't make sense? This season will also feature our 100th episode of Forgotten Cinema. Feels like 100 years. Don't I know it. Forgotten Cinema. Never stop, never stopping. Yes, that's a hint. Part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right. I'm real excited for this. Uh, you know, we get to play a little bit of what you guys have a great podcast. With, is it worth it? And, <laughs> and it's nice that you guys have this structure to it uh, where you'll you'll do the full out review, but in a nice condensed fashion and kind of button it up with the ultimately, is it worth it? And I figure we could do that with a few Netflix titles, maybe titles that I didn't know whether I was going to like or not. And, and maybe they didn't get enough attention in some cases and oh actually probably in all three because these are movies that kind of inherently get overlooked for either the fact that maybe they're a foreign film or maybe the fact that you know they're a comedy or or borderline comedy like or or a family film or something that makes it where nobody really gets to hear kind of the 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 review section on this one. So I think we got a, a pretty good collection here. It's three films that mm. we're going to do right here for you. And the first film we're going to do uh, is a movie that you guys have already reviewed. So I know your, your takes, uh, your hot takes from your last episode. Uh, <laughs> this movie is called Moxie is directed by Amy Poehler, of course, and co-starring in the film as well. Uh, she previously, uh, her directorial debut was for wine country, um, which I did not review uh, because it was not good. Um, and at the time, I had better <laughs> options, so I, I did not take that one on. Uh, but this film uh, spoke to me a little bit more in terms of you know the the conceit and, and the fact that you know it's kind of you know more of a zeitgeist topic, you know, with uh, a lot of more feminist issues, especially you know of dealing with it within the school structure. 
you know, obviously promising young woman being a little bit different, seeing the the shrapnel that comes out of the post college version of such things. Um, this is the the more high school, more a little more smoothed out version, uh, of course, um, with that, because uh, it's a film that's about a shy 16 year old who finds inspiration from her mother's rebellious past and anonymously publishes a zine that sparks a school-wide coming-of-rage revolution. Yes, I did not write that. I uh, I feel even dirty for saying that. Um, <laughs> but it kind of deals with being fed up with the sexist and toxic status quo at her high school. Um, mm. And like I said, I know you guys covered this film you know, on your last episode, and I got to say, I, I'll start with Craig, because a lot of the things you were saying about this film definitely resonated with me Uh, i thought the film was definitely you know i think it's well casted i think that the the tone that it sets for some of these issues in promoting feminist ideals especially the ones that are more specific to the school uh stuff like things like dress code or other things before we get to the really heavy heavy stuff at the Mm. end um Mm. you know i think it's a movie that if you know if it makes you know, white men who get away with a lot feel uncomfortable. I'm all for it. Great. Yeah. Because totally, totally. But, this but, it, it was a difficult one to, to review as a as a white middle aged man because this is a really powerful film for for women. I think in particular, um, of all races, um, and and abilities, etc. And it it is a movie for the Me Too movement, and I I really enjoyed seeing them let let the women in the film dictate the narrative. It, it, it has its problems um, and it it also has its really massive positive side to it. But the one thing that I really felt that let it down, um, if we can go there already, if you don't mind, sure. was the um, the fact that they made the, the male ally within this film become a romantic love interest. And, and for me, that when that goes down that road for in terms of a coming of coming of age kind of film for me it loses its its gravity of what it's actually talking about and and it it's it's still a powerful film because the subject matters that are entwined within this high school um uh, uh, setting is 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 brilliant but it's and 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 needs to be talked about but it just kind of decided to go off the rails a little bit along uh, along the way with that, and it may have saved itself at the end of the film, which I won't spoil or anything. But that my the way that I see it is that it it just needed to be honed in a little bit, a little bit tighter in the terms of the script and 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 and, and direction as well. And there were some other issues that I know David really was quite hot on as well, where it, you know that certain people within the film might have been showcased in a way that probably could have done with a little bit more fine tuning as well um but yeah i think david will probably touch upon that himself yeah well before we get to david just real quick uh one thing that craig you said on yours was that this movie tried to be punk rock but is totally not punk rock it literally is like surface level punk rock which if you're ever been in the punk scene or any of that is worse than almost (laughs) being not punk rock at all like this kind of like poser feeling you wells up inside of you a little bit i was like okay i like the i like the music here i like that you're kind of getting into it from that angle a little bit but by the end it didn't seem like that mattered very much at all um and, and it was kind of 
it had a, a level of like platitudes uh, like that kind of like I, I don't think this film knew how far it should or could go. And I think mm. it kind of goes back and forth between, you know, knowing the the line between being honest about really what teen life is, maybe being closer to like that it could have been successful closer to say a book smart. I don't say them, you know, as equals exactly in terms mm. of tone set or anything, but you know, something at least more idyllic <laughs> in that fashion. Yeah. But um, but I think the other thing they just don't know how hard they can go while being suitable for teens. And maybe I don't know if that's notes that Netflix specifically would give. Um, they're notoriously hands off. But I'm also curious to know from the book that this is adapted from that whether they they got that from this. Like, is it a more direct descendant or whether where changes were made to kind of suit uh, this type of medium that they wanted to go for this type of tone they wanted to set uh david how do you feel about that yeah i mean this 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 film i i I said in our main review there's there's a there's a balance isn't there between hard-hitting subject matter and comedy um and it's something that's really 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 difficult to do and i think one of the people that does it best is perhaps someone like ricky gervais um he's got a real knack of balancing that hard-hitting subject matter and and comedy and i just felt like i'll put it on the record i I quite enjoyed this film i thought for a a second directorial um feature for for amy polar it it was pretty solid um i think we said in our main review you know it's not going to set the world on fire even though in many ways it should with the subject matter um but yeah it it just felt a little bit unbalanced to me and it 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 wasn't quite sure what it was at times yeah i mean Great performances uh, from certain mm. folks here. I think this is the, the, unfortunately for him, the best I've seen Patrick Schwarzenegger, even though he's the villain-ish character of this whole mm. thing. I think a lot of the group uh, between Hadley Robinson, who is in I'm Thinking of Ending Things and Little Women, um, you know, as the yeah. lead here, does a good job. I definitely want to be Seth's friend. Uh, you know, he's such a cool dude <laughs> and he's very similar to his book smart counterpart. You know, this kind of laid back skater guy, you know, non-threatening. It's just more the yep. fleshed yep. out version of that character. Yep. Um, you know, I liked, you know, Ike Barinholtz here. You know, uh, I thought he was uh, good as being kind of almost the audience character here, you know, where you're seeing, you know, the, the hands up like I'm not going to touch this as long as I can. And then finally gives in. Um but yeah, there's a lot of people I liked, especially um, I think the person who popped for me was uh, Lucy here. Uh, you know, Alicia Pascual Pena. Mm. Like she's just she grabs you and and she takes hold of this movie for quite a bit of time, kind of pushes this movie into the story that it wants to tell. Um, yeah. and, and I think this movie is too long. And I think part of the reason, mm. Craig, you were bringing them up here like. The relationship stuff, whether it was with the mother and with Seth here, mm-hmm. yeah. um, I think are things they easily could have taken out and the movie yeah. is maybe more beneficial for it. Um, I know they w- need to flesh out the lead character in Vivian w- and maybe Seth, they tried to make that work or they tried to be more even handed with not all guys are as bad as you know Patrick mm. Schwarzenegger's Mitchell character. Yeah. But at the same time, it's it's hard to 
to last almost two hours on this and the ending still didn't feel like it wrapped up the issues because it was no. it had so much going on yeah there, there was definitely the the issues were they come to conclude to a conclusion but not full conclusion and i think there needs to be some kind of um you know a, a bit more visual seeing of of the consequences to 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 what happens mm. and and you don't get that the consequences here so so much i mean only other been than being called out and and i think that's not enough especially with these movies that are being made in this day and age with the things that are going on in the world right now i think more films need to actually take the risk and show the consequences to 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 the actions that are being taken by by certain characters within certain films i mean it's i for me the film is not as hard hitting or as uh, dramatic as maybe eighth grade might have been um mm. it's not as i don't think it's as as uh, as exciting sorry as book smart um it's it's just middle of the road almost um you know it has a slight veering off in places where it could have made it amazing and and you're right it's too long they needed to cut a lot more of the the non needed relationships that were going on in this film to make it that a little bit more hard hitting, a little bit more um, shorter and hard hit and hard hitting, really. Yeah, middle of the road is not a place you want to be in a movie with these type of issues. So I think mm. that's where you know if they had a few more notes from the studio or something that may have sliced this down, pared it down to really hone in on the points. Mm. Uh, but I think the highs are good uh, for this, and and that's why I will start off this uh wrap up on, on this film as saying is it worth it yes i think it is even for all the things that i just said i think especially if someone is on that age level i think it is very good watch to know what issues are out there or be more attuned to issues that are out there if you are more naive or negligent on those factors um and can kind of you know the convenient wrap up a little bit of the end, I think, bothered me more. I know you were saying, Craig, that maybe the end saved itself a little bit. I actually think it it was too convenient, too wrapped up, too buttoned up uh, for how the ending was. Too convenient. But I think at the same time, what else is this movie going to do? Because it just keeps bringing up more and more issues. Yeah. So, uh, which kind of speaks to why this movie needed to be made. Uh, so I, it kind of goes back and forth for me, but ultimately I say it's worth it. So Craig, do you think, is this film worth it? Yes. Oh, even though we, in, a, in our review, we tore it apart a bit more perhaps. Um, and But I still think it's, it's definitely worth a watch because of the issues that are raised in it. You definitely need to, to watch it, especially those that might be a bit younger that it might appeal to. It might give them that wake up call that certain actions, certain things that they might be doing right now um, that they don't realize is wrong, is wrong. Um, and, and they can mm. actually take some, some notes and, and, some, and action what they're doing and make a positive change for that. For sure. David, how did you feel on this one? Yeah, so for me, I think just briefly, I just wanted to touch upon what you said about Lucy's character, played by Alicia Pascal Pina. I thought, I like you said, she really popped out. Her character was really powerful. And there was just one moment in the film where Vivian actually says to, to Lucy, you know, ignore him and he will go away. Um, just keep your head down. And she says, I'm going to keep my head up. 
And I thought that was one of the best moments in the film, like a really hard-hitting, empowering moment. Overall, I, th I, I totally agree with you, Andrew. The ending felt a little bit like a processed meal. It just felt a little bit too packaged, too buttoned, too, too neat, and a, and a little bit too convenient. I wanted them to go, I said on our main review, I wanted them to take that next step and make it a bit more challenging. And I just don't think it quite went there. Uh, and the other, one other issue we had with it was just the use of the, the disabled girl in mm. it. Um, it was bizarre and a little bit, I don't want to say offensive, but she she felt like she was placed in there as sort of this token character. Absolutely. Um, and actually... A lot of a couple of jokes revolved around her disability. One moment when um, Vivian says, "Come on, girls, let's walk out," and the camera zooms in on right. the person in the wheelchair. It just felt, you know, that was a character that could have been fleshed out a bit more. So there's definite issues with this movie, uh, and like you said, the pace it could it could have done with a tighter edit. But for the for the for the for the fact that it challenges people to draw lines, for women to draw lines, and for men not to cross those lines, I think that's really important for us to understand. And for that reason, that makes this film worth a watch. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with all the sentiments, you guys. I thought you guys did an excellent job on your podcast of bringing that down. I'm glad we brought a lot of that discussion here for that one today. Uh, the next film we're going to do is Yes Day, uh, another film that I probably wouldn't really kind of bring up on the podcast much before because it's kind of a, more of a family film. Um, but, mm. you know, it's interesting because it's the number one movie on Netflix right now. Uh, at least it is in the U.S. I don't know if it is in the U.K. as yeah, well. It certainly is, yeah. Uh, a lot of you know families looking for family films. Maybe they already watched Raya and the Last Dragon. They're like, what else can we do <laughs> right now? Um, they're turning to Jennifer Garner and company uh, for this one. This one is a film that is a mom and dad who usually say no decide to say yes to their kids' wildest requests with a few ground rules on a whirlwind day of fun and adventure. Um, I, I said, and it was echoed by my buddy Colby Mack, um, that this is a family version of The Purge. I completely uh, agree with that. Him and I both came up on that one. Um, it also is a, a wild ripoff of the movie Yes, uh, yes Man, uh, from mm. Jim Carrey back uh, a little over a decade ago. So it's interesting that uh, people were like, hey, yeah, no, this is based on a really popular novel. I'm like, cool, that novel also ripped off Yes Man. So <laughs> I'm glad we can all just point fingers in the right direction. So I am putting the novel by Amy Krauss Rosenthal and uh, Lichtenfeld uh, on notice. So I am, I am putting that there. Um, this film is... Uh, directed by Miguel Arteta, who is an interesting figure. Uh, when I was growing up, I mean, like in the like late 90s, early 2000s, his first two films, Chuck and Buck and The Good Girl, were like, I was like, this guy, this guy's really good. He's like this cool <laughs> indie director. Um, I really like The Good Girl. I think it's one of Jennifer Aniston's true film performances that I really like. It shows her range more than a lot of her work has ever done. Um, and I, I definitely recommend that he went on to direct Cedar Rapids, uh, and like a boss this past year. Um, he's also now getting into the family films, obviously like things like this. Uh, he previously did Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, uh, which mm. also starred the lead of this one, uh, Jennifer Garner. And, you know, she's got an interesting career too. 
I felt like she was probably going to head towards this uh, range at some point anyway. Um, she does have kind of a lot of mom energy a little bit. Mm. But, you know, it's amazing to see where things went. You know, you start with Alias, uh, you know, and, and Electra, and even doing prestige films like Catch Me If You Can. And you're like, all right, this this she's going to be an Oscar contender one day. And it just didn't happen that way for her. Uh, it more mm. went the 13 going on 30 and then smoother and smoother studio comedy fair or mm. family fair over and over. Uh, we also have Jenna Ortega here from The Babysitter, Killer Queen, and Jane the Virgin, um, and Edgar Ramirez uh, from the awful, awful Netflix film, The Last Days of American Crime. And, you know, you got other nice supporting pieces here, Fortune Themester, and my MVP of the film, Nat Faxon, um, who I thought was hilarious as Mr. Deacon here, the guidance counselor, yeah. um, steals the show and a lot of uh, things to make this at least a more palatable family film i guess i'm showing some of my cards here um current scores on this what you'd expect from kind of like a family fair 5.8 imdb 46 meta score 41 percent tomato meter and 63 percent audience score but a lot of people are watching this film guys uh, mm. david we'll start with you uh what did you think of yesterday so I went into this film not really knowing much about it, went in a little bit blind, hadn't seen a trailer, which I, I really like going into films that way. Sure. Um, and I, do you know what? I, I'll i start off by saying I was pleasantly surprised by this film. Mm. Um, you know, the I thought it had a catchy and engaging opening sequence, a nice pace to start. And, you know, some of this humour really did land with me and I, and I was laughing along. And I've got to say, this idea of a yes day is not something that I've heard here in the UK. I don't know if it's something that exists in the US. No. Um, or <laughs> no, it's, it's not. Just, it's, it's just something from this movie. And in fact, as, I've a, got to say, as a parent of two young kids, terrifying. I, I don't want to do yeah. this, and I will not show them this movie. I would sooner show them Texas Chainsaw Massacre than this movie. <laughs> Well, well, that is that is one of the that is one of the criticisms I have of the film, and I'll come on to that later. That you know, yes, does sometimes have consequences, and and the film sort of fleshes out some of the consequences that the yes have, but it doesn't quite um, deal with them as as much as I would like. I mean, I thought the bit where um, the mother, it was Stalin, Mussolini, mum. Yeah. I thought that bit was just like, it was very, it was just very like, wow, okay, we're going down this route. Sure. Um, but, you know, the parents embrace it and the mum has a bit of a bet with her daughter. The mum says, I'm going to say yes. And the daughter says, you can't go a whole day um, saying yes. And, you know, I I do have criticisms. I will come on to those. But do you know what? I, I sat back, I relaxed, and I enjoyed watching this film. It gave me a laugh. Mind you, if I don't have children myself, if I had children, I'm not sure this is the kind of film that I would be showing them, if if, if I'm brutally honest. Sure, but that also maybe makes me Mussolini, I guess, which is, I'll take it. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I, I, I felt a lot of what Jennifer Garner was saying, you know, in a way, but I was also kind of like, you know, her family's almost too perfect with what they yes. were doing. You know, it's like if the worst they're going to do is some science experiments that went wrong or they want to go see a, a concert without their mom, mm. it's not so bad. It's not so bad. Like, it's not, we're not talking, <laughs> you know, any, and I know they set out some ground rules to make it kind of shaped down this way, but it's, it's a little, it's, it's, too perfect but it, it's supposed mm. to be in a, in a family type setting craig what did you think 
it just it, for me it lacks any real substance really um it, it is a fun family movie it really is and i i watched this part of a film club that i do with um some students that i that i sort of care for as a carer and um they really really enjoyed it and i can see why as a as a group of us watching it why we'd really enjoy it because it is fun you go on this journey and along that way you do learn some maybe not so important lessons but lessons that are of of life but as david said you know as a if a parent um or you have children um it's not something you're really going to want to show them because it could just end in tears because th- th- <laughs> it is too perfect like you said it is too perfect like the the the, the things that they have on their list are ridiculously family friendly really and you wouldn't expect that in real life you would expect things to go horribly horribly wrong and this doesn't quite go Mm. that far it does go wrong but but not in the ways that i was expecting for a film like this it it should have been almost worse um to get the laughs (laughs) maybe but i mean you know from ice cream to, to 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 wacky you know foam experiments um yeah (laughs) you know they yeah i mean jennifer garner gives it a good go but again it is just middle of the road stuff for her um and edgar ramirez he just feels like he's just walked off a set from somewhere else and walked onto another one and he's just utterly lost and (laughs) what is why why am i here sort of thing yeah they didn't do much for his character either like in terms of on the page Mm. either like oh he he also they they kind of equate him with jennifer garner's character in terms of like they used to be more adventurous and but they don't really set up the fact that he's like a lawyer at his job or whatever like they kind of just they make him kind of a pseudo boss and then occasionally he he is turns into a workaholic or something like that it's very Mm -hmm. wishy-washy um or or you just don't care which is almost worse you know so uh i i don't i don't see where um, this one will go past the next week, but you know, um, families, uh, family films will surprise you. They do linger on Netflix longer than you'd think. Um, one, one takeaway, I don't know if you guys appreciate it at all. Um, it just reminded me how much crowds of people suck. Like we, we, we haven't yes. had that in a while, uh, <laughs> yeah. for, for, yeah. for being in the pandemic and being locked down for stages and everything else. Like, mm. Yeah. I, I don't miss the concert experience of like having uh, someone, you know, punch me in the face by accident or, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know what, what I, it was spilling a drink on me or, or you know, mm. pushing through me or doing any of those things that now I'm just like, I don't have the patience. We all hit this reset. I, I don't want it anymore. <laughs> I don't want to be in crowds anymore. I don't want to be near anybody. I want to be in my home, comfortable, enough, no interactions with people unless it's on Zoom like this right now. You For know, sure. That's it. That's as far as we go, please. Thank you. And even then we have to hang out with dodgy characters like David. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's a weird. <laughs> very yeah. true. Very, very Waiting true. on a call from his bookie at any point. He could be taken <laughs> right in the middle of this podcast. It wouldn't shock me. Multiple bookmakers on the phone at multiple times during the day. <laughs> yeah constantly <laughs> tweeting them give me give me numbers for this or whatever it is you yeah, say I'd, I'd, i i i enjoy a bet i love betting and no more than betting on the oscars i must say well what i will say is i am betting this is not going to go well for the is it worth it part of this conversation um but david you actually said some more positive things i know you said you do have some potential more criticisms but bottom line for us buddy is this film worth it 
Uh, do you know what? This is this is a really tough question because in many ways this film is worth it, but in many ways this film isn't worth it. And I know I'm sort of not answering the question. How dare you? So I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm. Do you know what? I'm I'm going to go out and say actually I do think this film is worth it. Um, I do think it is worth a watch. Um, look, it's 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 harm. Well, I say it's harmless. It's fun. It's engaging. But the problem is, it's a little bit too neat. It's a little bit too convenient. Um, and the third act is definitely the weakest element of the film when it tries to to pull it all together. Yeah. It's it's somewhat harmless fun, but it does lack some substance. Um, you know, it fully embraces the fun of yesterday without really addressing in full the consequences of it. So I do think it's worth a watch. Maybe get the family together, but be warned, if you watch this with your children, they are going to want a yes day, and that may come with um, severe consequences. <laughs> yeah, I will say that, uh, especially in the end there, without spoiling anything, I know it's weird to say not to spoil a family film mm. like yes day, but the end experiment they do at the house, there's a mm. 0% chance that A, it gets cleaned up as easily as it did. Yes. That B, the kids would stick around to help clean it up. Yeah. And and <laughs> and C, that the parent wouldn't have lost it even worse than Edgar Ramirez does in that moment. Yeah. So uh, to me, it just didn't ring true as much. And like I said, it seems like a nightmare for a parent like me. Um, and it didn't satisfy me enough, even though I did get some laughs along the way. It's not awful. It, it's it's watchable, I guess, for a family to to do or whatever. Uh, but to me, you probably have better options. Go watch Ryan the Last Dragon again, or Soul, or or the Willoughbys uh, for the fact that they got snubbed at the Oscars. Give them some love. Um, you know, they have better options. So I say it is not worth it. Craig, where are you at? Well, again, it is difficult because you know what? I did have fun watching the movie, and I and 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 those that were watching it with me really, really did enjoy it. And I think for 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 that reason, it's worth a watch because you will, you know, at this time of the year when there's lots of Oscar buzz and lots of Oscar films and there's lots of drama, you just want to watch something that's a family film. And I think this one does well to satisfy all those that are watching it. Um, yes, it's ridiculous. Yes, it doesn't have much substance and, and lacks any real punch to the gut if you need that as an adult. But I don't <laughs> think that you're watching, as an adult, you're watching this for that. You're watching it for the kids that are watching it. And I think the kids will 100% love it. So for the kids, it's worth it. Well, I th would hope that families will be more sophisticated, uh, especially mine, as, as we get bigger and better. I think we can move on to the last film where maybe families should turn a nice space epic on, guys. Uh, space Sweepers is what we're going to do here. The South Korean film uh, that came on Netflix earlier this year. Um, this movie is set in the year 2092 and follows the crew of a space junk collector ship called the Victory when they discover a humanoid robot named Dorothy that's known to be a weapon of mass destruction they get involved in a risky business deal um that i i found this movie to be kind of almost like an an interesting combination of Guardians in the Galaxy and Elysium with of course be mm. a little tinge little flare of Star Wars stuff between the nanobots and and kind of like Teo being a better version of like a Finn character from the newer Star Wars films. Uh, but of course, because it's Korean, it's also way more violent and has higher stakes uh, in the film than maybe its U.S. counterparts would be. I think 
this movie. I, I've been more enraptured with Korean cinema, and I think it's all due largely to this podcast that I'm doing because Netflix does pull a lot of really good Korean titles out uh, especially you know they're more action fair and this is more the obviously the sci-fi fair and it, i what i liked about this film is that i thought they had really good characters a plot that you know sometimes seems familiar but i think had a very good slant on it and it's a movie that it, it proves that you can have a space drama a space epic of some sort an adventure film while not being from previous IP and still making it enjoyable. And whether we have to turn to other countries to do so, that's fine. But, you know, for me, that does never stops me. But, you know, does this movie have issues? I think it's a little bit too long. I think the ending goes on forever. It's one of those films that ends like four different times. And it has some convenient character and plot wraps. But to me, it doesn't detract from these really well-established characters uh, and some of the fun dialogue and arousing enough plot that, you know, like I said, harkens back to a time when we didn't have to talk about the source material before we get into a conversation like this. Uh, David, what did you see with Space Sweepers? So, yeah, this is this is a really interesting one. This is not a director that I was familiar with, and I went in, you know, ex excited for this movie. And I've got to say, this film grew on me as 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 I went through it like I found the the start of this film really quite erratic quite messy quite difficult to get into um multiple languages which was was quite confusing for me it was quite difficult to follow mm, at times yeah um it, it again it depends what kind of audio you went whether you went for the original Korean with with English subtitles or English dubbed yeah. I, I did you know, have to text you on that one didn't I yeah, well, that's a decision that I actually watched this film in both to see what the differences were. Mm. Um, and it's it's a slightly different viewing experience depending on how you watch it. But the strength with this film is undoubtedly the character development. Like these characters are well fleshed out, but they're fleshed out in a very, very clever way. So regular listeners of our podcast will know that me and Craig don't like directors that spoon feed you or lead you by the hand. And what I felt with these characters is that they were slowly developed and developed in a in an interesting and engaging way. The, the director didn't say, here's these characters, here's everything you need to know about them. Piece by piece, act by act, the characters were fleshed out and I engaged with the characters. And that meant that I engaged with the action sequences. That meant that I engaged with some of the, you know, like you said, some of the slightly offbeat violence, some of the quirky comedy. Um, and the film really grew on me. I, I really liked, I, I was going to say the ending, but like you said, Andrew, there was, there, I thought the film had ended and then there was another ending yeah. and then there was sort of another ending. And I was like, wow, how, how many endings are there? Um, maybe the director had like three endings and he just thought, do you know what? I'm going to keep them all in. Um, and that would be one of my criticisms of the film. I, it was just a little bit too long for me. Um, but the first act for me was the weakest. It built up in the second act, and by the third act, I was actually, I actually really enjoyed this film, and I and I wasn't expecting to. Yeah, it's interesting. I watched this film twice as well, but both with subtitles both times because I'm not a weirdo. Um, I I did this the old fashioned <laughs> way there, David. But the, um, I I actually liked it a lot better on rewatch for the reasons kind of mm. you were saying that maybe. You know, it's maybe a little bit more jarring on first watch to get the multiple languages yeah. to get 
what these characters are after and and the end game for some of the the villains that are laid out here or any of these things because there is a lot going on in a sense they do a really good job of making the through line being the child and the arrangements yeah. and and kind of that before getting too above themselves with the this larger you know geopolitics you know corporate versus government type of stuff that's going on in a film like this. Um, but I think they did a pretty good job and it seems to be a movie that, you know, is resonating with people. It did debut at number one in over 16 countries. You know, mm. it does have, you know, kind of, uh, you know, it has an 80 audience score on rotten tomatoes. So I think people are liking this a little bit more than the critics. Uh, the thing that impressed yep. me too, for a movie that, uh, you know, it only has a $21 million budget guys. And they did such impressive effects considering the budget. Like if you thought that this was like going to be on equal to like an MCU movie or a star Wars film, you're wrong in terms of effects, but they do just enough, especially with better developed story and characters than some of those films do that. I I was along for the ride. Craig, where were you with this one? Well, um, it, it, well, where do I start with this one? I mean, at the very <laughs> beginning, you're presented by Netflix with um, uh, English dubbed and English subtitles, which is bizarre because we have um, the, the, the people that are speaking in Korean, they're speaking in English, in the dubbed English. And then the sub, there are people that are supposed to be uh, who are American, but actually speaking German. And then when you finally switch on that, this doesn't seem right because... You know, when you watch a Netflix film, you should be presented with the the correct way of watching it and and listening to it. Sure. And I switch it to the original audio, which is Korean, and I have English subtitles. And I, then I finally things start to click into place because now the woman who is American is is not speaking German; she's actually speaking English. And yes, and it starts to make a bit more sense that this is actually a very multicultural thing that's going on here. There's lots of different different speaking people that are here, but the way it changes from different audio. Um, or different dubbed audio from different countries and it, the way it just spins around in terms of where you which one you choose you get different people speaking the best way for me is definitely the korean dub uh, the korean audio the original audio with the english subtitles it, it felt right it was all in sync and once i finally got that right after the first 10 15 minutes <laughs> i felt that i could start getting into the movie um it, it was very shaky, like David said. The the first act, or the first half of the film, for me, was really difficult to follow. It was all over the place. I, 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 found, I struggled to understand who I was rooting for to begin with. But mm. as this young girl or young child comes into the mix or comes into the fold, we start to actually develop a liking for some of these characters and start rooting for some of them. And it slowly reveals their motives, slowly reveals how their characters are developing. And and I started to really fall in love with this movie. And, and it surprised me because I really didn't like the opening 10, 15, 20 minutes. And it could be because of the way I was watching it and I couldn't get it right to begin with. But once, once I did, yeah, just started falling in love with it um it is a real uphill battle the first half um the music in the first half was very strange in some instances the themes were very 80s or 90s in in some instances and i just got this reminiscence of baywatch for some reason just sort of appearing in my (laughs) mind i have no idea why but it was just the same themes i I don't understand interesting um yeah it was very occasional um 
and 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 then yeah, like I said, like um, the, the young child was just fantastic. She yeah. really won me over, um, and the humour from it as well. Um, there was a line that I text David when I was whilst I was watching it that just absolutely cracked me up. It involves poop um, and farts, <laughs> and uh, honestly, it, it it was brilliant. And like you said, the CGI and the budget is impressive. You know, usually vast amounts of money need to be spent for incredible CGI. And I think they did very well here. There are some scenes that the CGI felt like they may have run out of money for. Mm -hmm. um, and there were some sets that I felt were um, very cheaply made. Um, I mean, even some of the more futuristic, um, minimalist um, uh, um, sets they just felt like they cut some squares into the set and and they hadn't quite cut it correctly. And these are little things that I pick up on. And, sure. you know, they're not huge things, but it does sort of remind you where you really are. Mm. And, um, but nonetheless, because I was invested in the characters, I didn't care. Um, right. I, I just absolutely loved this film. I really, really did. Yeah, on second watch, man, I it just got better for me. It, it streamlined everything once I knew what was going on and the plot stuff can kind of fall mm. to the wayside i'm not trying to concentrate so hard i know what's yeah. going to happen that it yeah. really you really get to like a lot more things out of this film um one of the things uh, you know we keep kind of talking about the cast a little bit for american audiences or even for yourselves like i wasn't familiar with say you know song jun ki or uh kim tae um who played Teo and captain jang young I'm going to probably mess that one up. Um, but they're <laughs> notable stars in Korea, especially um, the one who played the captain. She was in Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden, uh, for anyone who's seen that. He's a huge director out of, out of Korea. And, you know, and the guy who plays Teo here, he's an actor and MC, uh, mostly known for TV roles. But it, these are relatively big stars. And so every review I was saying, this star-studded cast, I'm like, well, to you, I don't really know a, a lot of these people, um, even though some of them have been in uh, Netflix products before. But again, Korean Netflix products, um, like the guy who plays Tiger Park um, was in Kingdom um mr sunshine was a netflix show that again the the actress from the handmaiden was in so and then for american audiences or maybe you guys as well richard armitage is the one who's going to be known uh for playing thorn in the hobbit trilogy or if you've seen hannibal or the netflix miniseries the stranger you know he's a more familiar mm. face even though i will say that one of the things about this movie is that i thought it kind of had a villain problem but it a lot of these type of movies do. So, you know, yeah. uh, I, I thought that was forgivable enough. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I found this movie incredibly watchable. And not only for because we're going to wrap this one up, guys. I'm not only going to ask you, is it worth it? But whispers because of how well it's doing on Netflix. That is a sequel worth it. Something I want to know from you guys as well. So, David, I'll start with you. Is space sweepers worth it yes look I, I i was really surprised by this film and andrew's absolutely spot on it's the kind of movie any movie that you re-watch is usually a good movie i think um and i wanted to dive into this again i re-watched it 
And yeah, it's definitely worth a watch because I think for the budget, they've done an amazing job with the special effects. I think the cast give really good performances. I think the characters are well fleshed out. And like I said, it has a, it, it struggles in the first act on the first watch, but it grows on you and it grows on you and it grows on you. And in terms of a sequel, hell yeah, I'd be down for a sequel for this. <laughs> um, I, don't, I, I don't know necessarily where they would go. I mean, they had multiple endings, so maybe we would get more endings. Um, but yeah, I would... I would I would be down for a sequel on this. Do you know what? This film really, really surprised me, and I, I genuinely really enjoyed it. Yeah, if anything, I feel bad that they settled on the name Space Sweepers because I think mm. more people would watch it if it somehow had a better title. I don't have one that would be like SEO or clickable as much because like, yeah. a, a movie called Victory or Dorothy or something like that would have made sense, yeah. but... Yeah, it doesn't quite capture what this movie is, and it doesn't scream clickable, but, you know, hopefully they can work on that a little bit for the next one. But, Craig, mm. where do you see this film? Is it worth it, and is a sequel worth it? Yes, this film was 100% worth it, and it took me by surprise that I'd be saying this after watching the first half, but honestly, <laughs> it really, really is worth it. Um, stick with it. Start with that audio um, set to, to Korean um, and English subtitles, and I think you'll start off on a much better footing than, than maybe if you just go in with it set as default as it is. Um, yes, I think a sequel would definitely be worth it. Where they go with it, I have no idea. I hope <laughs> that they actually do and they will and they find a very good direction to take it in. Um, I'm interested to see where the characters end up. Um, it could be 10 years from now that we see where they end up and that could be a very exciting sequel, I think. I think so too. And one of the things that I didn't mention, which I also did like that kind of took hold on social media too, was that Bubs somehow is a better trans character than like a lot of other films also do and he's a robot so it's wild yeah, that yeah, you know yeah. even for a movie that is just this fun space adventure they still manage to like do some kind of like underlying things that are also impressive mm. so I, I appreciate that i know that went uh through twitter for a little while and i i echo those things uh but yeah absolutely I'd be down for a sequel, and if it comes about, maybe I'll have you guys back on, and we'll we'll dial this up again because uh, this was a lot of fun, guys. Because um, yeah, it was. you know, this episode to me is worth it. Your podcast is worth it, and I hope that my audience uh, reaches out and, and checks you guys out because you guys blow through so many movies a week. You guys are animals, so uh, you know, <laughs> good on you for doing that. Still getting the deep dive, the meatiness, the clean awesome reviews um so yeah guys check them out uh tell the folks uh david i guess if you want to take it tell the folks where to find your podcast i'm uh, i'm terrible at this kind of stuff so i'm gonna <laughs> hand this one over to craig okay, uh, sure. craig knows because i'm i'm bound to mess it up so mr fields tell the lovely listeners where they can find our podcast well you can find the podcast at www.isitworthitpodcast.com or you can find us on all the good podcasting apps such as apple Podcasts, spotify and actually you can also find us on youtube if you want to have a quick sneak peek at some videos of just a shorter cut down versions of each review if you're looking for a very specific review excellent i am slowly but surely seeing whose strength and weaknesses between the two of you as this podcast <laughs> is going on so i appreciate you guys being so honest with uh with your assessment of each other thank you guys so much craig and dave this was a pleasure for me yeah pleasure thank it's you all ours. brilliant